Greetings, everyone. Great to see you all this morning. One of the things that uh, happens sometimes during the summer is that we just get busy. Lots of us get busy. I get busy, go on holidays, various things. One of the things that we didn't treat appropriately was the death of Margaret Cole's mother, Gertrude, who passed away a couple of weeks ago. And I'm sorry about that. Um, Things happen sometimes. And so I'd like to lead us in prayer right now. Margaret's mother's funeral has already occurred, but I just want to ask the Lord to be with her family. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray that you'd watch over Margaret and with her family and bless them at this time. Father, I, I don't know, I didn't know Gertrude. I don't know her. I'm sure she was a loving, wonderful mother to Margaret. And therefore, I'm sure, God, that those who loved her very much are going to miss her very much. And we pray comfort and blessing on their family. Be with Margaret and help her to be strengthened in your presence. Help her to know that you love her. Guide her and bless her. And give her a peace that passes all understanding. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, when, uh, when Joseph was leading singing a moment ago and was... Wait, your name's not Joseph. Um, when, when Jim Bob was leading singing a, a moment ago, he mentioned the fact that I sometimes forget that. Wait, it's not Jim Bob. Should I go on? <laughs> we are going to be talking about the temple a little bit this morning. And so I'd love for you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, if you would. It's on about page 243, if you're in a pew Bible. But really, the, the temple and Solomon's building of the temple and dedicating the temple is kind of a jumping off place for us. Because while I want to have us thinking a little bit about the temple, what I want us to think about more is Solomon himself, in light of what he's doing when he dedicates the temple and afterward. And here's the question I want us to ask this morning. First of all, was Solomon sincere? Was Solomon for real is the question. And I think it's a legitimate question. And you can listen to the things that we're about to read and maybe develop your own opinion about what you think. I won't read all these verses, I guess, that are on my notes right now. It's going to take a while, but I'll read some of these. I want you to look first at verse 14. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 14. And, And the situation is that they are dedicating the temple, the ark has been brought in, and... Solomon wants to speak to the people and to pray and ask God to be with them as the temple is dedicated. And this is a very significant time in the history of Israel. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. And then he said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built for my name to be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. 
My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, who is your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded, David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. And I've built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I've provided a place there for the ark in which is is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of Egypt. Now I want you to look down at verse 54. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice saying, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep the commandments, the decrees and regulations he gave our fathers. And may these words of mine which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Well, what do you think? Was Solomon sincere? Was Solomon for real when he said those things? I'm seeing some heads nod. I think I agree. I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs, if you would. I didn't get this out of the the number of the Pew Bible. It's after the book of Psalms. I want you to look first at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The book of Proverbs. Wow. Look what it says in the very first verse. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones and then look at chapter 4 verse 1 listen 
my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you, etc., etc. And I ask you again, do you think that the man who wrote all these words in Proverbs chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 2 and Proverbs chapter 4 was sincere? Do you think that Solomon was for real? And my impression is, Yes. Now I want you to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Right after the book of Proverbs. And this I find fascinating. Because up until now, Solomon sounds like a guy who is totally devoted to the Lord and convinced that God and worship of him is exactly where we need to be. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, who was king over Israel in Jerusalem, I devoted myself to study and to explore and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is twisted twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of a man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Wow! All of a sudden, this guy, who was apparently seeking after God, and apparently was in fact so wise, decides that that's not where it's at. Or at least apparently so. And so he begins to try all kinds of things. And so I ask you again, in light of that, do you think that Solomon was sincere? Was Solomon for real? Even the Solomon who sought after all of those things. 
And I think he was. In fact, I appreciate very much his honesty. Because it seems to me that he chronicles for us just the kinds of distractions that are ours. He tries to fulfill himself in all kinds of ways because apparently something in his search for God is not as fulfilling as what he needs it to be. And I'm not saying that God is the one who's faulted there. I think it's Solomon who's faulted. But clearly, he is trying to find some kind of fulfillment. He even says this. I went after it. I sought every possible means of satisfaction that I could find. And yet all the time, I do think that Solomon really wanted to lead Israel well. I really think he wanted God's promises to be fulfilled. I think he really wanted Israel to be the nation that God wanted it to be. Their destiny was to rule all of God's creation and to help creation be devoted to the Lord. And I think he wanted all of that. I think he wanted to be a great leader. In Israel to bring all of that about but here is what I think is the problem ultimately there was in Israel as a nation and in Solomon himself a divided heart I think he's sincere as could be but also compromising He ends up knowing what's right, but he chooses to depart from God's desired will. He wants to fulfill God's plans for Israel, but he becomes distracted. He pours most of the efforts of his life into things that are ultimately meaningless. And in this book, Ecclesiastes, he describes them as striving after wind. He spends his whole life striving after wind. Even though he's supposed to be so wise and clearly has a heart that seeks after God, he spends all his time striving after things that don't matter. And what he discovers is a message that God's people in the 21st century need to hear. Because the fact is, this is what we do. Too many of us. And sometimes your preacher is right at the heart of doing too many of those things. And so I want to ask this question this morning. In light of what we've done with our studies so far this summer, ultimately, do you think we're more like David or more like Solomon? What do you think? More like David or more like Solomon? Both sought after God. Both committed atrocious sins. Both had tons of opportunities at their disposal. Both of them had access to all kinds of pleasures and at different points in their lives sought them. And the fact is there are so many pleasures that are available to us. And like them, we sometimes seek them. David fell big time. But then got it back to where he needed to be. Solomon, as we saw last week, compromised a little in the beginning. And then that grew. He compromised a little bit more. Compromised a little bit more. And then he says, sorry, I just got to do one thing here. 
And then he ultimately says it's all meaningless. He goes after all the things that the world entices him with. He gets it all. He has it all. He tries it all. He's the rich kid with no limitations who exercises his position in life to the full for himself. No position, possession or position for that matter, does he deny from himself. And yet at the end it says it's all meaningless. In fact, you get the impression that by the time Solomon tries everything, it's like he's just sick of all the things that he's tried to the point where it becomes inedible. Kind of like this. In here, I have a piece of steak. I bought this just this morning, so it's fresh as could be. And if I was to take this piece of steak and to eat a piece, and I did cook it a bit in advance, don't think that I'm just eating meat that's been cooked for a minute. In fact, it's a little bit too well done, probably. And it's way too hot. (laughs) If I was to eat this, the fact is, it's not bad, but I've had better. And at this point, forgive me for speaking with my mouth full, but if I don't talk, I'm never going to get this sermon done. It's a little bit tasteless. It's not quite as exciting as I'd like it to be. So I bought some seasoning salt to go on my steak. And if I put a little bit of seasoning salt on here, the fact is, it's going to taste better. I've done this before. I used to, in fact, I used to work in a restaurant. I don't know if you know this. I used to work in a restaurant and cook steaks all the time. We got known in town in Abilene for having great steaks. And people would always say to us, what did you put on that steak? Lowry's seasoning salt. That's the only thing we put on them. And they were great. And so this isn't Lowry's, but it's probably just as good. This is called, this is called Johnny's. Is that your name? Okay. So I can put a little bit of salt on this steak. I can eat this. And it's not bad, but it could use a little bit more. So now I can eat this one. And I think this is going to be pretty good. That's not that good. In fact, that's way too salty. Something's going to have to be done to fix this. Maybe I can try this. I think the minute that I had it in there was a little bit too long. Excuse me. That's a little bit too salty. I can't quite take that. Now, I could go on and I could put some more salt on there thinking that maybe I'm going to fix the problem. But you know what? It's not going to fix it. And my sense of Solomon is that Solomon's life was a little bit like this. He got to the point where he wanted to spice things up a bit. He wanted things to be a bit different than they were. Maybe they're a little bit too bland for him. And so he tries a few things. And when it doesn't quite measure up to what he wants, he tries a bit more. 
And then he tries a bit more. And Solomon just keeps trying things, going to different places. And I thought, well, I could get all kinds of seasonings here and put them all on the steak this morning and make the illustration even better. But spices are expensive. And I thought, this is their dollars they're spending on this spice. I better just buy one. So I, bought, I, got, I just got the one. But I could have had 15 spices up here and I could have tried them all thinking, this will be the right one. This will be the one that will fix it. But it doesn't fix it. In fact, probably the best thing I could do if I was going to fix this steak at this point would just be scrape all of this seasoning salt off and just go back to the steak. In fact, isn't it the case that gourmet chefs, when they fix you food, are offended when you put a bunch of stuff on it to try and make it taste better? Isn't that right? That's because the food itself should do it. And in Solomon's case, he had a relationship with God. And it should have sufficed. It should have been all that he needed. But it wasn't all that he needed. And so he tries different things. And these are some of the things that he tries. Pleasure. And the text specifically says, he says, I sought pleasure. He says, I sought wealth. I tried to, get, you know, I amassed this incredible amount of wealth, thinking this would do the job for me. I erected great works with my hands, built beautiful things that I thought might satisfy. Maybe they'll even stand the test of time. I worked hard. And this is especially interesting to me because in our world today, a lot of times we advocate this. If you just work hard, you're going to get someplace. It's going to be satisfying for you. And there's an awful lot of people who work really hard and at the end of life, they're not so satisfied. Wisdom about earthly things he even obtained from the Lord and you'd think that that would have done it. But the fact is, it didn't do it. In fact, all the things available to us, when our hearts are divided end up ruining for us the simple joy we could have had with a heart singularly devoted to God. And so in the beginning, he was right. And in the beginning, I think he was sincere. One of the things that I really like about Solomon, and most of us never get to this point, is that Solomon at the end, said, I've blown it. I've blown it. I'm not as wise as I thought I was. In fact, all these things that I've tried, they're all meaningless. It's all striving after wind. There's only one thing in the end that matters, and that's being God's man, he says in so many words. And so here we are, just like Solomon, I think, making compromises with the world, and yet we are not mature enough, we're not bold enough, we're not wise enough to see the folly in our efforts. We keep trying to be satisfied with something other than the Lord. We keep putting more seasoning salt into our lives 
all the while holding on to divided hearts, not able to fully appreciate the mess we've made of things in the duality of our commitments. And I really think this is true. Like we make dual commitments. We try and serve manna and God at the same time, and Jesus says it doesn't work, but we try it. And it doesn't work. What's beautiful with Solomon is that at the end, he at least sees it. He at least knows what a mess he made of things, and he admits it. And he's, in one sense, ready to start again, I think. Most of us are too prideful for that. Most of us plug away, acting as if we know best, when really the best thing we could do would be to start over with a complete and new devotion to the Lord, undistracted. And so let me suggest to you that you start over. Let me suggest to you that you simplify. In fact, I would say simplify with a simple devotion to Christ. Simple, uncompromising discipleship. Because we've tried it the world's way. We've tried it Solomon's way. And do you know what Solomon would say if he were here? Solomon would look at all of our efforts, he'd look at all the sum total of our productions, and he would say, This is all meaningless. This is all striving after wind. And I think he would call for some kind of simplicity. He would probably say to us first, Stop it. Quit while you're ahead. Enjoy the simplicities of life. You know as well as I do that most people, when they look back on their lives, and some of you who are older, you know this to be true. You look back at your lives, and if I said to you, when was the best time at life? There's a very good chance that you would probably say, well, you know, it was back when I was young and I didn't have anything. And I didn't have anything to worry about. Didn't have anything I was striving after. Nothing was in my way. And I could just have this simple kind of life where I was just able to do what we wanted. And it was simple and we didn't have anything. But that was good. Less to maintain. Less by which to be distracted. Well, simple, uncompromising discipleship will actually fulfill in a way that all the stuff and all the pleasures never can. And so I'd suggest we return there. In fact, I would say that we could even do so together. And I think we could even start next week. And we're going to hear more about this next week. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes in our lives we whether intentionally or unintentionally, make things really complicated for ourselves. And we try all kinds of things trying to make life savory. When really there's a simplicity in just being your disciples that would put us in such a better place. And I'm, I'm grateful, Father, that Solomon, at least by the end of his life, seems to understand that. He may be sad about it. He may grieve about it. But he, he understands it. 
Help us to be at least that wise, but maybe even wiser, Lord. Help us to, before we ever get to that point, embrace a life that is represented by simple discipleship in you. Help us not to be distracted, but to have you as our our center. And so center our hearts, God, and help us to seek after only you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.